Tom Terry will you come and lead us in prayer. Good morning. Good morning. Bow our heads in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we praise your name as we come before you this morning. Penitent sinners acknowledging that we have fallen short of your hopes for us. Father, we praise your name for the way you continue to shower us with your extravagant love and grace, generosity, and forgiveness. Lord, we are thankful for the simple freedom we have to come together each Sunday to hear your work and worship you in peace. We realize that thousands, even millions of our brothers and sisters in Christ across our troubled world do not have this freedom. As with the saints of old, they are persecuted and imprisoned, tortured and even killed for the simple fact of their faith in you. Please grant them your peace with pastors all understanding and shelter them from harm while you continue to bless and protect this great nation of ours and as you spread your peace across our troubled world. Help us find unity in our faith as we face the challenges of our evolving church together and learn from the lessons Phil is starting today as we do so. Finally, Lord, we ask you to grant us gay and grateful hearts and make us ever mindful of the needs of others. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good to be back again. Good to have you back. I feel like like I've been traveling a lot this summer. Yeah. After being in a in Kenya for a month, and now I've missed another two weeks. And appreciate Dave Johnson uh, covering ably for me. It's so it's so nice to be able to be gone and just know you are in good hands. Uh, there's so many capable. Um, teachers in this class, so it's always, I never, I miss you, of course, but I, I never worry about, like, what's going on. Um, I worry a lot more about when I'm here. <laughs> uh, a whole lot more. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was gone through, a, uh, some of you know I'm part of a group called the Ecclesia Project, which is a, a group that, uh, ecumenical group that works for church renewal. And um, we have an annual gathering, and uh, we had that in Chicago um, two weeks, uh, two weekends ago. So I was up there, visited family on the way up, family on the way back, and then uh, my wife got us a few days at uh, Folly Beach, um, where she, she told me, I, I came back, and she said, you don't have to go. I said, what do you mean I don't have to go? She goes, well, it's going to rain every day. <laughs> I thought, well, you know, I mean, you look at, I don't sit on the beach anyway, so <laughs> why does it matter? I'm just going to be with people, so um, it did rain a lot. I mean, biblical proportions. I don't know if you uh, saw some of the photos from Charleston, which is just like 15 miles away. Uh, but one morning, it, one morning, uh, the second morning we were there, it rained six inches. Um, and there were, there were places in, Char in Charleston, as you know, if you know Charleston very well, where the city doesn't drain. And there were cars with water up to their door handles. Uh, so we were in that. But it, it, we did think 
like, yeah, this, this, this is the flood. Uh, but we did get the sunshine last couple, for the last couple of days, so it was lovely. And we got to be with some of our children, so that's always good. So we have copies of the social principles. Uh, if you ordered a copy, there are copies back there. Um, if you didn't order a copy, I ordered extras. So you don't, um, they're, they're roughly $4. Um, if you got $4, pay $4. If you got a five, give a five and that'll, you know, if a few of you pay $5, that'll cover the tax. We, um, they shipped them to us free. Um, so we're not paying shipping, but um, we're not too worried about it. So um, but that's what they are. Um, some of you have it on your Kindle. You can get it on your Kindle uh, for around $3 or so if you'd like to have it on the Kindle version if you'd like to have an e-reader. Um, we're gonna be doing this for the next several weeks. I, of course, have no idea how many. Um, just kind of depends on how it goes. It will be a few weeks, at least six, probably six to 20, somewhere in there. Uh, I have no idea. I really, yeah, as I told, as, as I mentioned several weeks ago, um, there's, a, there's a lot of good reasons to do this. Um, and there's probably good reasons not to do it, honestly. Uh, and, and I mean that unjokingly. Because um, this is, this is going to be hard in some ways. Um, I could have picked a lot of safer things to do. Um, but I thought, I've been doing this for six or seven years. It, it, you know, take a risk, right? I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen? I, I, could go to, I could go to start going somewhere else. <laughs> right? There are Christians other places, you know, that might be something that would have me. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not, it, it'll be okay. Um, but I, I just do want to be honest that uh, this is challenging. A lot of us, um, we'll, we'll get to this, I'll ask you in a little while about how many of you have heard of this or know anything about it. And again, it's not a test, it's not, um, my, my assumption is that most of you probably don't know anything about this. Um, I didn't, I mean, I knew it existed, but I didn't know anything about it. I mean, I'm gonna be like 20 minutes ahead of you, uh, which is what a good teacher does, right? Just stay just a little bit ahead of your students. And some of you, I'm not gonna be 20 minutes ahead of you because some of you know more about this than I do. So that's always uh, a little humbling when you're starting to teach something that you know that you know, there's probably other people in the classroom that probably should be teaching this who've had more experience with it. But um, Walt Seaman suggested this uh, out loud, if you recall, when we had that one day when we said, what should we be talking about? And Walt said, we should study the social principles because uh, most of us don't even know they're there and have anything to do with United Methodism. And, and actually one of the things, as we'll see, that the, the social principles in the Book of Discipline says is that uh, these should be brought up in front of the United Methodist people and put in their hands and read uh, frequently. Um, which makes me think we're probably not doing that. So it seems like we should do it once. I don't think that counts for frequently, but we should do it once. Um, we should at least know uh, what it is, how it functions, why we have it, um, how to think about it. It's gonna challenge all of us, not just some of us. It's gonna challenge all of us, myself included. Um, 
but we'll talk today. We're just going to sort of get into it. Ask, I want to give you some context about uh, where it comes from, why we have it, uh, why we might care about it, um, how it came into how it came to be, how it gets uh, amended, all those kinds of things, um, and a lot of that has to do with the way United Methodists think about themselves as a connectional church. Um, and and the, the whole polity, right? The way we're organized as United Methodists. And I know a lot of you are not lifelong Methodists. Uh, I'm not a lifelong Methodist. Um, and so uh, I'm, an, I'm an interloper. Um, but there's a lot about the United Methodist Church that I deeply respect and think there's a lot to learn from there. So if, you're, if you have one of these for next week, uh, I'm going to deal with a little bit of the stuff that's in the introduction, um, some other things that's not in the introduction. Um, but if you want to read for next week, um, go ahead and read the introduction um, and, uh, and read up to about page uh, 25. Okay. That's a lot. That'll be your biggest assignment. Okay. I mean, it, I mean it's only like 80 pages in it. Uh, so that, that's a third of it. 25, the first one. Well, that, that most of it's introduction. So you can read. And there are blank pages in there. I'm sorry there are no pictures. That's what my students really want to know. No pictures, no graphs. Yeah, it's just text. Yeah. Sorry, no videos, embedded videos, none of that. Um, yeah, just just do your best, okay? Just do your best, right? I'm not, not going to give a quiz, not going to be a grade. Um, but if you're wondering, we're going to try to get into, there's six major sections in the social principles. And so we're going to deal with, we're going to try to start to deal with the first one next week. And so if you read the introduction and about to about page 25, that'll get you through the first section uh, on the natural world. So let's say a little bit um, about uh, what they are, uh, why we should care, and a little bit of a background, um, how they function, how they don't function, how to think about them, maybe how not to think about them. Um, so the first thing to say is, as you would guess, social principles, right, of the United Methodist Church sounds like just that, right? That they, that our faith uh, as United Methodists, uh, and presumably, I mean, United Methodists don't think they're only, only Christians, that they think other Christians too, right? That Christians, that our faith has not only a personal dimension, but a social dimension. It has implications for the way we live it out in the world. And if you're going to live your faith out in the world, it's going to bump into all kinds of social matters, social context, social situations, social issues, social problems. Uh, if you know anything at all uh, about John Wesley, um, part of what he's known for, right, is his deep concern uh, for all kinds of people on the margins who the society of his day was crushing. And he thought the church couldn't just sit back on the sidelines that following the way of Jesus and announcing the gospel of the kingdom had implications for how Christian people lived in the world. They interacted 
uh, not just with people on an individual level, but also as sort of the society. What does the church have to say to the larger society? Um, and again, that's, that's always risky. It's always risky. Um, we're fallible human beings. Our institutions are fallible. Um, they, as we mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, uh, God ordained that human beings be, uh, we are, we're social creatures and we have social institutions and God uh, creates and makes possible those institutions for our good. They bring order to us and they're good. But they're also fallen. Which means they, they also at times do the opposite of what they're supposed to do. Sometimes they don't only bring life. Sometimes they bring woundedness. Sometimes they make human life, they undercut human flourishing. Um, and this, the church has known this from, from the get-go, right? It didn't take Wesley. I mean, the church long before that understood that. Uh, the genius of Wesley and the genius of the United Methodist Church is that the United Methodist Church takes the risk of saying out loud and in writing what it takes to be some of the social implications of the gospel. And that, that's a huge risk. It'd be easier just to say, well, you know, we all have a personal relationship with Jesus and we'll all just kind of work it out in our lives the best we can, but we don't really know about how any of that might apply to the larger society. That would be safer. It would be. But for good or ill, the United Methodist Church thinks that's cowardly thinks that the boldness of the gospel says we have to take the risk. Does that mean we'll always be right? No, it doesn't mean we'll always be right. But it means we, you have to risk being wrong to get it right. And so this is, this is what the, the church has been about. And it's really part of what makes the United Methodist unique in many ways. Um, the social principles grow out of uh, at the turn of the, not only, it's the Wesleyan tradition, of course, but as far as the written documents, uh, it grows out of, at the turn of the 20th century, and if you recall your, uh, your history, this is the, the time uh, when things are really hard. There, there's huge issues um, with labor laws, child labor laws, there, there are no child labor laws, right? Uh, children are working, young children are working 14 hours a day, right? Making $3.50 a month, right? Um, there are no days off, right? People work seven days a week. Right? You forget this. This is just a little over 100 years ago, okay? Uh, and the United Methodist Church, at that point, is not the United Methodist Church, right? Um, if you know... The history of the United Methodist, the reason it's the United Methodist Church is because it's the union. Uh, they're uniting uh, more than one church. Um, but in the early 1900s, and you can see some of this, um, if you go to page, those of you who have it, if you go to page 9, I just want to read um, page 9. Um, so in 1908, uh, one of the predecessors, the Methodist Episcopal Church, which is one of the churches that became 
of the United Methodist Church, wrote what they called the Social Creed. And it was 11 principles, 11 sort of calls to action that was trying to address issues in their day. And I just want to, I just want to point out a few of them just so you can see what they were. But no one had ever done this before. <laughs> I mean, no church had written this down uh, in sort of this kind of bold way. And they actually end up um, delivering it to the White House and to, to Theodore Roosevelt. Um, which again is a pretty bold move. It's like this is just not, we don't just think this is for us, we think this, this says something about how our faith in the way of Jesus impacts and ought to impact the way we live as a society. And so notice some of the things that they were talking about. Equal rights and complete justice for men in all stations of life. Conciliation, arbitration, and industrial dissensions. Okay, this is a huge part of industrialization. And some of you have read some of the literature from that day. Uh, Meatpacking and all these industries that were horrible. Absolutely horrible. This is what gave rise to a lot of, uh, of unions, right? Which were controversial. Right? But they were there to protect workers. The idea that workers had rights. Um, Protection of the worker from dangerous machinery. Abolition of child labor. Right? Can, you, can you imagine just a little over 100 years ago, child labor was legal. Can you imagine that? Can you li imagine living in a world? Well, we just take this for granted. Like, where did the impetus for that come? Partly from Christian people. Okay? Just like slavery was abolished, partly from the, 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 the insistence by people by Christian people saying, this cannot be, right? Even though for centuries, Christians had justified it based on scripture. There came a time when Christians were bold enough to say, this cannot be. Well, the same thing with child labor, right? Even though there are plenty of places around the world, as you know, where child labor is perfectly legal. Well, it's not in places, uh, for the most part, where uh, the United Methodist Church has been. Uh, thank God for that. So child labor, uh, conditions of labor for women, uh, reduction of hours of labor to the lowest practical point, right? We take for granted the 40-hour week. Where did that come from? It didn't just drop out of the sky. Right, that was pushed hard by, by Christian people who thought there ought to be room in life for something other than just work. Right? God didn't create us just to work. And so the idea of a, of a day off, which again, we take for granted. We think of a five-day week. Right? That's, that has a history. Okay. Um, living wage. Um, recognition of the golden rule, the mind of Christ as the supreme law of society. So that's where, so this social creed was the first thing that came from it. And that's been adopted and adapted. Um, and now it, it comes at the end of the social principles. And it just sort of is a, a general creed. This is on page 59, if you have it. And I just want to read this to you, just to give you an idea of what the general, this sort of gives you in a very compact way of what the social creed is 
of the United Methodist Church. Okay, these are in summary, as intended to be a creed. And you might notice there at the bottom, it says, it is, this is in italics, it is recommended that this statement of social principles be continually available to United Methodist Christians and that it be emphasized regularly in every congregation. It is further recommended that our social creed be frequently used in Sunday worship. Has anyone here ever heard the social creed used in public worship? Raise your hand. Where? In Knoxville. Thanks be to God. <laughs> so. A, a little bit addressed in our um, prayer in the 11 o'clock service. Okay. Confession. Yeah. yeah. There certainly is a social dimension to uh, our corporate confession. And, and if you turn the page, there's actually a companion litany to our social creed where if this is a worship resource to sort of get some of this language out in worship apart from just reading the creed. But since most of you have never heard it in public worship, even though this isn't public worship, I'm just going to read it out loud. Okay, just so you can hear uh, just very quickly. This gives you the broadest possible overview of what the social principles are about. Okay? So this is going to just take a couple minutes. We believe in God, creator of the world. And, and there might be some resonance with some of the other. We spent a couple weeks on the Apostles. I guess it was 18, actually, <laughs> on the Apostles' Creed. <laughs> you might hear some resonance there. I don't know. Um, we believe in God, creator of the world, and in Jesus Christ, the redeemer of creation. We believe in the Holy Spirit, through whom we acknowledge God's gifts, and we repent of our sin in misusing these gifts to idolatrous ends. We affirm the natural world as God's handiwork and dedicate ourselves to its preservation, enhancement, and faithful use by humankind. We joyfully receive ourselves and others the blessings of community, sexuality, marriage, and the family. We commit ourselves to the rights of men, women, children, youth, young adults, the aging, the people with disabilities, to the improvement of the quality of life and to the rights and dignity of all persons. We believe in the right and duty of persons to work for the glory of God and the good of themselves and others in the protection of their welfare in so doing. In the rights to property as a trust from God, collective bargaining and responsible consumption, and the elimination of economic and social distress. Two more paragraphs. We dedicate ourselves to peace throughout the world, to the rule of justice and law among nations, and to individual freedom for all people of the world. We believe in the present and final triumph of God's word in human affairs and gladly accept our commission to ma manifest the life of the gospel in the world. Amen. Okay. So that's, that's the social creed in a nutshell. Okay. And when you get your copy, um, that's on page 59. Okay. Yeah, so the question was raised, you know, uh, why do we live in a society uh, where we have what we call separation of church and state, which for some people feels like it's uh, a society 
without God? Um, and that's, that's a fair question. Uh, that's probably another 10-week series. Um, but the short answer is, I mean, that's how our country was founded. Um, now, it took a long time for that to, for the logic of what our founding fathers said, for that to work its way out into what we have today. They, they wouldn't have imagined what we have today, but our, our society is different than it was today. But it's still following the logic of what they said. Right? They, they came from a, a situation where there was a state church. Right? And, and they knew. I mean, there are, some, there are some good things about the state church. Right? It's not uniformly bad. But on balance, it's not a good idea. And it's bad, worst of all, for the church. That's the hard thing to see. Right? Because you lose your freedom in Christ if, if there's a primary impetus from the state patting you on the head saying, be a good Christian. I need you to be a good Christian for me, for the state. Lots of really evil things have been done in the name of the church when it has the state behind it. So and our founding fathers and mothers knew that. Okay, so it, there, it leads to, it's an, it's, a, it's an uncomfortable compromise at times, no doubt about it. But it gives us the freedom in that to state that this is what we believe, not because the government tells us we have to. Uh, we don't really care whether the government thinks it's a good idea or not. This is, this is who we are, right? This is part, what, is, what are the implications of the gospel for human life? And because we're social creatures, there have to be social implications. It can't just be personal. It is personal, but it can't be limited to the personal. Uh, and that just means it gets messy, because uh, human social relationships are messy. And, um, but yeah, we just have to take the chance of trying to get it right. We'll never get it all the way right. That's okay. But all of you have lived long enough to know if you wait until you're absolutely sure you can get it right until you do it, you'll never do it. You'll never do anything, right? If I thought I had to you know, be the perfect teacher and get it all right before I walked in the classroom, I'd have been a plumber, <laughs> right? I mean, at least I know when I got the toilet fixed. I mean, there is a right way to do that. Um, but most of the things in life that count, that we care about, that really something hinges on, there are more ways to get it wrong than there are to get it right. But you gotta take the chance to get it right. Or to get close, or to get it, make it better. Right? Um, we, Wesley just looked around and thought, when he saw human beings made in the image of God suffering, <coughs> suffering horribly, how could the church just sit on the sidelines of that? Now sure, they could, right? Um, they could do what they could to take care of people through works of mercy. Uh, but Wesley and others thought that, that can't be enough, though. Um, you know, it was Martin Luther King Jr. who famously said, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong, and the church certainly has an obligation uh, like the Good Samaritan, like the Samaritan, to bind up the wounds of the person in the ditch. But if every day 
the ditches are full of people, at some point you have to ask, why are so many people in the ditch? And it's not enough just to keep binding up the people in the ditch. The question is, because we live in a society where we have a voice, we're not the only voice, but we have a voice, can we at least advocate for positions that we think, on balance, move people, all people, not just Christians, but our neighbors whom we're called to love, move them towards human flourishing? Isn't that our part of our obligation? It's not all of the gospel, but isn't it part of the good news that God wants us to flourish as human beings? And so what's, what's our obligation for that? And so this is what the United Methodist has dared to do, and it's messy. And because every society is different and every society changes, and because the United Methodist is a worldwide church, it's, it's really complicated. We're not just talking about the United States here. So these social principles have to be broad enough to apply, at least theoretically, in a worldwide church. Okay, there are roughly you know, 12.8 million United Methodists in the country, in the world. A little over, I think 58% of those are in the United States. 30% are in Africa. Uh, about 5% in Europe, and about 5% in East Asia, primarily in the Philippines. Okay. And so these social principles are not just for the church in the U.S. Okay. And so they're intended to be broad, and, and, and so you have to ask yourself, well, how did they come up with them? And who, who's the they? Uh, and how are they ever amended? Uh, surely what... Surely what they wrote in 1908 doesn't necessarily apply. No, that's true, right? The first social principles, um, if we have them now, were written in 1972. Uh, there was, when the church uh, joined in the 60s, uh, the two churches had their own set of social principles, and so they were put in the Book of Discipline in 1968, just side by side. But by 72, they were put into one form in 1972. And as some of you know, the General Conference happens every four years. Um, General Conference is when the United Methodist Church gathers, among other things, to uh, amend the, the Book of Discipline and the Book of Resolutions. Now, I brought the Book of Discipline. I uh, couldn't find a 19, uh, 2016 version, um, and I didn't want to pay $70 to get one. So, um, so I borrowed this one from the library. It's a 2008. But every four years, this is, this, you can call this the, the law book if you want. Uh, it, it uses that language. This is, this is the things that, uh, for most of, most of what's in this book, sort of binds uh, United Methods of Church. This is, the, this is how we agree uh, to order ourselves. Um, it has uh, theology in it. It has how, how uh, we order our lives at different levels, the congregational level, other jurisdictional levels, uh, the general conference, all those kinds of things, what you do with property, all those kind of things are in here. And these, can be, and these, these, are, written, okay, these are written by the general conference. And the general conference, just so you know, um, is made up of representatives Right, from the United Methodist Church, from around the world, proportionally. 
So 50%, and, it, and it, it's limited at 1,000 delegates. Okay, 1,000 delegates. Half of those delegates are clergy, half of them are lay people. And then they're proportional to, so like 58% of them are gonna come from the United States, 30% of them are gonna come from Africa, 5% of them are gonna come from Europe, and 5% of them are gonna come from East Asia. Okay? And bishops are there, but they don't get a vote, which is pretty interesting. Uh, bishops preside over some of the committees, uh, but bishops don't vote. They don't have a vote. Um, so this is not driven by bishops. You should know that. Um, uh, this is, I mean, bishops have a say, of course, uh, in, in a lot of the, the order that takes place, but they're not voting members. Okay, it's half clergy, half lay people. And so, uh, so every four years, there comes out a new version of the Book of Order. Uh, some of this is amended. And the social principles are in the Book of Order. A Book of Discipline, sorry, in the Book of Discipline. Became Presbyterian there all of a sudden. <laughs> I'm, show, I'm showing my, uh, my, my church, I'm a, I'm a church mongrel. Uh, yeah, the Book of Discipline. And they're also, the social principles are also in the Book of Resolutions. Uh, in fact, the Book of Resolutions is ordered by the six categories in the social principles. And the, the resolutions are much more specific sort of social policy recommendations based on the social principles. So the question is, when you look at the social principles and they seem relatively broad, the question is, well, what, what would that look like in social policy if the United Methodist Church was uh, commending certain things in society rather than others, what would that look like? Well, the, it, you could look in the book of resolutions for those. And I actually couldn't find a copy in the library of those. So, um, but, I'll, I'll but it's online. By the way, if you ever want to look at the book of discipline, book of resolutions, you can read it online for free. Okay, can't print it, but you can read it online for free uh, through the United Methodist uh, website. Um, so, book of, so the social principles are in the Book of Discipline and in the Book of Resolutions. And those, those can be amended and are amended every four years. And recommendations uh, to amend can come from anyone in the United Methodist Church. It can come from a congregation. It can come from an individual. Um, it can come from a conference. Um, and those recommendations are sent. They're sent to committee. They come up for vote in committee. They come up and vote for the general, uh, among the general conference. And so all that's to say, in 2020, there'll be a new edition of the Book of Discipline. And there will in, undoubtedly be revisions to social principles and in the Book of Resolutions. Now, one interesting thing about the Book of Resolutions, because it sort of reminds us of the sort of changing character of society, is uh, once something is passed, a, a very specific policy recommendation, social policy recommendation is passed and goes into the Book of Resolutions because it's voted on and approved at the General Conference, it automatically uh, goes away after eight years unless it's reaffirmed. 
Okay? Which is kind of an interesting thing. Right? Because you know how, the, how once you get something going, you can't get rid of it? Uh, this assumes it's going away unless we think it needs to stay. And a lot of them are reaffirmed. But if you look at the Book of Resolutions, at the bottom it has the history. It'll tell you when it was approved and when it's been reaffirmed. Um, and so you kind of have a little history. Like, when did this come about? Uh, when did the church vote on this? And how long has it been reaffirmed? Okay. So it's kind of interesting. Um, and my hunch is like, none of us ever knew any of this was going on. We just knew general conference was happening. It's like, you know, it's like the Wizard of Oz. What, what happens behind the curtain? Um, <laughs> And so this is part of what goes on behind the curtain. And it's, there's a lot more to it. Um, but it's a big church. And I mean, we have diversity in here. Uh, just in this room, you can imagine trying to write a document that you're trying to think, you hope is representative of 12.8 million people from all around the world. That's a huge challenge. And no doubt, it's not gonna make everybody happy. Right, it's not going to be perfect. Not everyone's going to be happy about that. Um, so one of the things, here's what I think will probably happen. I think as we work through the social principles, and we, we won't be able to touch on everything. There's just too many things in there. I mean, we could take several years, and I don't know, I just have a hunch that wouldn't work. Um, and so... In the, in the weeks that we study, here, here's what I think is going to happen. I think some of this is... And I hope this, I think three things are possible, three, three reactions are possible. And I hope that each of you at some point experience all three of these things. One reaction is you'll, you'll come across the social principle and we may or may not talk about it, but you'll read about it. And you'll, you'll be uh, thrilled and uh, overjoyed that something that you always thought made sense, like this seems like a sensible outworking of the gospel. It'll be in there and you'll think, that's good to know. I'm really thrilled to know that the church that I belong to um, also thinks that this is a logical outcome, a theological working out of the gospel in everyday life. I hope all of you see some of the social principles and you, you resonate with them deeply. I suspect all of us, at least once, will have a second reaction, and that is, we'll find ourselves defensive because the social principle will state something that runs counter to something pretty deeply that we hold. And we don't know what to do with that. Um, because we're, we're going to try to show the theological and biblical foundations for these. People can just sort of make these up out of thin air. And so that, that will make me uncomfortable. It might make you uncomfortable. Probably will. And we want to be clear that, you know, this is not a referendum on whether you're a good United Methodist or not. Okay, it's not that. Um, the question is, are we willing, uh, it's not about all of us absolutely have to agree about everything, but are we willing to engage? Am I willing to have what I think challenged on the basis of what well-meaning fellow Christians, you know, have thought and wrestled with? I mean, I at least need to give them a voice even if they're saying something that runs counter to what I have thought. Right. And where, where that goes, we, we don't know. Right? What God will do to that, I don't know. Um, but I think we have to at least willing to engage. 
And the third possible reaction is, um, and I hope we all have this, is I hope that at least once you'll be surprised. Like, I never really thought about the implications of the gospel for that part of human life. And that's interesting. Maybe I should have thought of it, but I didn't. And, uh, and you might be uh, pleasantly surprised to be challenged in a new area of human social life to think about potential implications of the gospel. Um, I was going to do a little, we're running out of time, which you're probably happy about. Um, today was easy, we're just introducing it. This, like, this is the easy part. Um, but what I, was, what I wanted to do was just kind of remind ourselves of the diversity. I was going to ask about 20 questions um, and just have you raise your hand if yes or no, if it applied to you. Just kind of remind us of the diversity in this room. Right? There, there's a, you know, we can kind of look at superficial ways you might think we all look alike. Well, there's enormous diversity just in this room, uh, in experience, uh, life experience, in all kinds of ways that you've grown up. Let me just ask a couple, just before we pray. Uh, how, how many of you are lifelong Methodists? Okay. Good. Um, maybe half, for those of you who couldn't turn around, didn't, didn't turn around and can't see. Um, how many of you, uh, before we started talking about doing this, uh, had heard of the United Methodist Social Principles? Okay, about a third. Uh, how many of you have, have been a delegate, a delegate at General Conference? Anybody in the room? <laughs> the other side. Yeah, okay. For Presbyterian? Okay. Anybody for United in the United Methodist? Okay, I just thought we might because uh, we have set delegates uh, before, and so <laughs> Wayne, yeah, Wayne, Wayne had been a delegate mm -hmm. a lot of times. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, it's just good to know, right? I mean, I, sometimes I just want to kind of know who's been part, who's been behind the curtain, right, and uh, has some experience there. Um, well, lots of other things we, we could talk about. But Phil, yes. I want to mention my husband was a delegate to the World Conference at one point. World Conference? In Ireland. In Ireland. Wow. Okay. About forgot about it. <laughs> uh, it was several years ago. World, World Conference delegate. That's a gathering of Methodists of various Methodist denominations. It's not a legislative body, but a, a working together, connecting organization. Yeah. Well, all that's to say, um, do your best to come willing to let, I mean, we're Wesleyans, we believe in the work of the Spirit. So come prepared to let the Spirit work, uh, pray that maybe all of us will try to be open to what we might learn uh, from each other. Um, at the end of the day, um, you of course are going to have to live out the way of Jesus as uh, the spirit touches your own conscience. Um, no one's, no one's going to come in and uh, give you a United Methodist checklist to see if you're, you know, orthodox according to the social principles. Uh, that's not going to happen. But we should know that they're there, and that's what that's uh, that's what Walt wanted us to do. And uh, we're going to try to honor his request uh, in the coming weeks. Let's pray.
We give you thanks, O oh God, for your church around the world, um, for the United Methodist Church and for churches of all kinds and shapes and sizes. Uh, we give you thanks that men and women across generations have thought it important to take the risk of naming uh, what the way of Jesus might look like when embodied not only personally, uh, but socially, corporately, uh, together. And so we pray for wisdom and guidance in the weeks ahead uh, that you might uh, challenge us, that you might um, encourage us, uh, that we might be surprised uh, at how uh, the gospel uh, might be lived out in our day, uh, ultimately for your glory and for the furthering of your kingdom. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.